Welcome to Flex This. I'm your host, Jen Hoffman. This podcast is meant to share the stories and experiences of humans exercising their muscles of curiosity and emotional intelligence in their everyday lives. I believe there's no right or wrong, there's only truth. And truth is personal, ever expanding and evolving in the journey of a lifetime. My hope is that through these conversations, you can see parts of yourself in your own journey and that it can offer you guideposts that resonate and help you connect to your highest and most authentic self. Today, I have Kate McGurk uh, sharing time and space with me. I appreciate that. Uh, Kate, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Kate McGurk. Um, I am from the suburbs of Philadelphia. I currently live in Philly. I am a ninth through 12th grade math inclusion specialist. So I support students with learning disabilities in a general education math classroom. Um, it's a co-teaching setting. Um, at that school, I work with students who are largely um, Hispanic and are coming from low socioeconomic backgrounds. And I also coach volleyball there. Nice. Well, I appreciate you being here. Appreciate your time and sharing your stories. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Okay, so we're just gonna get right into it. Um, the journey of transformation, for some people it looks a little bit different. Some people might not even use transformation. Some people might say expansion or personal growth or um, the spiritual path, whatever you wanna call it. I, I would be interested if you're willing to share one, what language you use um, and some of the tools that you might share uh, that help you keep yourself on that path of checking whether or not you're growing or you're expanding um, and how you stay in alignment that way. Certainly, yeah. So I definitely define it. I would define it as personal growth. Mm -hmm. um, at, a, I, at like 25, I was in a pretty serious relationship and got engaged and thought, you know, this was, this was it. Mm -hmm. um, she and I met when I was teaching internationally and we ended up moving back to the States together in 2017. And, and like for her to be here, cause she wasn't uh, American, we had to like go through the process of immigration and things like that. And uh, which kind of sped up our, our relationship. We yeah. had to get engaged and we had to go through those things that maybe necessarily I wasn't at the time I thought I was ready, but obviously now reflecting, right. I was not ready for that. Um, and, you know, growing up, people would always say in relationships, you have to, uh, you have to compromise and it's all a compromise. And that in my head meant like, I have to be the one to like give, give my all and I, sh I should expect it back, but it'll, it'll happen. And so the entire relationship was a lot of me giving myself and giving my time and giving my efforts. And I really wasn't getting that back. Mm -hmm. um, so it took a long time for me to realize for myself that like, I actually should be able to put myself first. Mm -hmm. um, and my partner or whoever I'm with should respect me in that and also support me and support we so that we could support each other. Um, so it took me a long time to come to the point that I could even address that in my head. Um, and then once I was comfortable enough to like recognize that for myself, I, I ended up ending things 
Um, and a lot of my family and friends were kind of caught off guard because I kept everything to myself and I didn't share my feelings. Um, but in going through that, I started going to therapy and, and realizing that if I were to have those conversations in the moment, instead of just like burying them down and, and dealing with them internally, then I would have come to this realization a lot sooner. And my family and friends would have been like, they were supportive, but because they were caught so off guard, it was just like really a shock for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, the growth of it was like, knowing that I can be true to myself and I have to be open and honest with who I'm with no matter what the space is, whether it's a relationship or, or a work environment or a friendship or whatever. But if I'm not open and honest in the moment, then I'm only setting myself up to be hurt or like just not in a situation where I'm happy. Yeah. I think a lot of people think boundaries and self-love have this like negative connotation, but the reality is, is that unless you have either of those things, You really can't love in an authentic way because if I don't know how to love myself, I it's, it's like a, you have to fill the bucket before you can have it folding over to give it away. And if the bucket isn't full, there's nothing for you to get. And then inside of that, also that bucket tells you what's yours. And then the overflow is what's left for everybody else. And really the work of self-love and setting those boundaries sets everybody up for success around you. You know, I have a very similar, you know, I had a girlfriend that um, similar to what you're describing. And it's interesting how like what we thought love was and what we think it was at like in your 20s, like 20 to 25, you think you think love is mature. And I don't know how old you're or you're like a, a guardians or parents or what that was looked like. But my parents have been um, together since they were 15. And so my version of watching a, a love is very different than what my reality was and and I'm a gay person and my parents aren't gay so like <laughs> trying to navigate all these things of like it's not it's not this fairy tale straight agenda it just isn't even for straight people like it's it's just not that's right. not true and it's um does not need to be rushed and there's so much self exploration that is so important because again if you don't do those things if you aren't on that journey everything kind of gets blurred. And so your love is just a puddle of water versus in this very clear bucket that you know when is full, when it's not, when you can when you can share it with other people. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that because I don't think people talk about love enough. It's always has this like- It's you know, heavy. Really, yeah, it is. It's it really, hard to talk about. Yeah, it is. You're right. You're right. And I think because we we- I'm going to be quite frank here. We suck at it so bad that no one really wants to talk about it. Because we're also, <laughs> right, like in the age of social media, it's like we want to portray that we right. that we have it all together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, I don't know. I guess growing up, I was fortunate enough to feel like I had it all together. And so I felt like I had to always live up to that expectation. Mm-hmm. And then in my relationship, like, you know, posting pictures, leaving captions. When I look back at those things, I'm like, that was not authentic. 
I wasn't, I wasn't being true to myself. I was trying to portray some image that I wanted everybody else to see. Yeah. I think social media for me, I talk about this a lot with a lot of people is that for me as an adult person, I use it as my barometer of authenticity because if I look at my intention when I'm posting, what is it saying? Am I sharing this because I want the likes? Am I sharing this because I'm excited about this part of my life? Am I sharing this because I'm proud of my partner? I'm proud. What is my intention? And what am I trying to gain out of this? And I think it's really easy to just post a post and um, such a comparison, you know, the, the quote comparison is the thief of joy. I think if you aren't careful in social media, it can really become that. I, I don't know how you do this, but like, like I said, social media is a barometer for me. Um, one for that. The other part is authenticity. I don't, maybe I'm, I don't know if you're an empath or not, but I am. And people might think I'm crazy for saying this, but sometimes I look at people's posts and I'm like, that is so inauthentic. It feels icky. Like it doesn't. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I feel that too. For yeah. sure. And just like, can you not, can you just, be, <laughs> can you just be you or like, yeah. don't, don't yeah. do it. Don't yeah. post it for what you it's, it is so, and, and maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me like wanting for myself to be authentic that when I'm looking at other people, I'm like, searching for that inauthentic thing to say like uh, or to again compare it to um but saying like don't you see that you're just copying what someone else is doing or you're yeah yeah well it's a hard thing right like I can like you're described when you look back you don't sometimes you don't know in the moment and it's really you know that's why I think these conversations are so important. It's a muscle to flex. It's like exercising. I have to be deliberate in checking my emotions and being aware enough to know what is going on. And it's really easy to just, what is that quote? The dead fish only go with the sea or like with the stream. It's really easy just to just to just float down the river, but yeah. you have to work to swim against everything that they're saying is otherwise. And it's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, I I feel for kids now, like I'm a millennial. So I didn't have the internet till I was like a junior, senior in high school. And even then it was dial up and you're fighting your siblings (laughs) to get on it. And you only had one line in the house and like, uh, and like the only place that was really efficient to use it besides for like AOL and AIM was the library. And even then you didn't know how to use it. Right. Yeah. We didn't use it right. (laughs) <laughs> so I feel like in some ways we're that 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 generation that us millennials are kind of blessed because we know what it's we know we know what it means to handwrite a thank you note yeah and yet we know we know we don't take for granted that I can google something instead of having to go like my if you asked your parents something they like go look in you know the encyclopedia and you'd be like, oh, okay, so I'll just search it in the encyclopedia. You couldn't give me an yeah, answer. Go to the index, the find the index. <laughs> right, right, right. You had to go to the Rolodex and to the library and yeah. find a certain place in, in the aisle and then make sure you found the book and you're like streaming on reading it sideways. Yeah. So kids these days are like, Alexa, tell me what she's going to yell at me now, but um, you know, tell me whatever. <laughs> this is. But yeah, no, I think that's a really valid point um, about about 
using social media as a parameter on yourself and a checkpoint of reflection, because if you do that, you can actually see points in your life where you weren't ready for growth. And then now you look back of this lesson that you learned and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I don't want to repeat that anymore because that didn't serve me or the people around me. So this is how I want to do it moving forward. And to be fair, like, you know, the, the reflection piece of it is everlasting. It's ongoing. So we're going to look back 10 years from now and say, oh God, the things I was saying on that podcast, you know what I mean? But, but giving yourself the opportunity to have that reflection. Yeah. I feel like for, for me, like even in a, in a work setting, reflection for me is something I do on a daily basis. How did that lesson go? What can I do to improve it? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, reflection in the workplace is very easy to do. Mm-hmm. But when you take it to a more like individual, what am I doing in my real life social time? How can I reflect on that in a more consistent manner? Yeah. And I think adding COVID into that mix right now, that makes it even harder. You know, I, I have before my job, I just started a month ago, I was hybrid. So I was doing direct services in person safely, and then wouldn't have to worry about data entry. And then the other days I was doing data, but I was at home, but it was very relaxed. I wasn't engaged. It wasn't hands-on services. And now I'm full-blown home and just like little things of like, going for walks at lunch. I mean, I'm very blessed. I'm in San Diego. So the weather is a lot more cooperative than most of the, of the country, but yeah. um, I don't take it for granted. I go for a bike ride or surf almost every day after work. I just try to like separate this space and I want it to still be my home, but then you throw in a partner and then you throw in, if you have kids or a pet and there's all these things, these nuances that make it hard to have the energy to reflect. I think you, before you had the car ride of like right. reflecting on your day, decompressing your job, hopefully your traffic wasn't awful depending on where you live. And then you might be a little bit more mentally and emotionally available. Maybe even not at that point. Right. Home. I think it's interesting too, you bring up a good point because they say 80% of our life will be our job. And if that's true, why are we only giving 20% to ourselves and the people we love. Like if you're talking about like random plot twist here, but if you're talking about work is such a space, work is work for us is so much more than just a job. And I don't want to sound like the, you know, our, you know, my parents, I can hear them being like, it's not, you you know, you millennials don't commit to anything. And, (laughs) (laughs) but I think there's this, do not use buzzword language, but I think there's something to be said of knowing your value and worth, which I don't think a lot of people in that generation above us really did. I know my worth, I know my value. And as a woman to be able to say that says a lot, I know that I have, I belong at the table and I should have a place at the table. And that if I do, I should open that up for other people. Absolutely. And also doing this work, this self-work makes me realize that just because somebody else is at the table doesn't take away my value or worth. And in fact, all we're doing is enhancing each other because if we're all on this journey and we're all at the table sitting evenly, we can say, oh, your strength is actually my weakness. And if we can do it this way, we can move everybody together. Absolutely. 
So I, I got off for a second there. I'm sorry, tangent. But I, I think it's really interesting that you make a point of if we can adapt and learn every day at work and we do that without hesitation, why don't we take that and translate it over to our personal lives? And I think it's like the, I, I don't, I think it comes down to like the culture that we live in and how we, we, I mean, I'm very proud of the work that I do. So maybe that's why I am so inclined to like continue to grow in that aspect, or we see our uh, successes by how we can present ourselves. Mm. So if we're thinking about like our social lives, like I'm not going to introduce myself and say, Hey, I'm Kate. I have 500 friends on Facebook. <laughs> right. Well, might. Might. Some people might. Might. Um, <laughs> right. But we introduce ourselves by our job title and by what, what our career is. Yeah. You know, what's interesting so, yeah, is I've actually fine. heard people say that I don't remember if it was in Colorado some of my, my friends from Colorado are going to be like, you should know this. Um, I've heard somebody tell me that when they lived in another state, I'm just going to not name the state because I don't remember. When people ask you what you do, they don't say their job. They talk about their hobbies. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's such a cult. Like, you, you know, I think it's, all, it's also really interesting, too, because the United States is ginormous. Every state, they, it's, it's literally Europe on crack. Every state is its own country. It has its own agriculture. It has its own fruit. I mean, we lived in Northern California for a year and a half, moved down to Southern California. What you get in the grocery store is entirely different. And that's just an eight hour drive in one state. Yeah. So what does that mean when you cross a border or you go North? And I think this idea of like a melting pot is such a stupid it's just a, it's a complacency thing for white supremacy. I'm going to say what it is. And um, at the end of the day, unless we start looking at, 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 at like these nuances of like, if a state can say, why don't we, why, what am I trying to get at is why don't we adapt the positive things that move humanity forward and let go of the ones that don't and use each other's examples from like a state that says, what do you do? And you say, I ski, um, I shoot skeet as a really random thing that came to my head. Um, and I like wine <laughs> um, versus, yeah, I code. You know what I mean? Like, why, yeah. I, why are we more flexible in adapting the things that make sense to us and the things that we're trying to just force, which don't work to begin with? I wonder what, well, at least for you, like, because I know I have, we all have these things. So with this question in mind, what are some of the things that maybe you're like, you know, butting your head against? What is the moment for you to be like, yo, Kate, this isn't serving you anymore. Like, what is it for you that's like taking a step back and realizing I can let this go. I don't need to have this thing, whatever that is. Hmm. I think for me, like it goes back to that relationship that I was in and realizing that like, you have to do things that make you happy. And if you're questioning, if you're doing things to make other people happy, that's not actually making you happy. Like it's in the moment making you happy because you're like pleasing others. But at the end of the day, you're left again, back to the cup empty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's self-care, self-awareness mm -hmm. and just not 
not depending on other people for you to like serve them. Mm. Like it's a very like codependence sort of situation. And like just being honest with yourself about how you can be true to yourself and make yourself happy so that that makes everybody else happy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's really interesting is that watching people without boundaries and myself where I am not true to my boundary and I flex it for something that isn't for me. What you actually walk away with is not just frustration, but like legit resentment. Like you're mad at, it's funny because you end up mad at that person or thing, but the reality is that was about you. You didn't hold your boundary. You didn't hold them accountable to your boundary. And people don't like it at first, but the reality is, is that they push it because they want it. It's like kids, like, or dogs. I like the dog park theory. Like you put a, a dogs in a dog park and they're going insane, but they know they can only go so far in the dog park. Like there's a limit. They, they can't go any further. But if you put a dog in a field, they lose their damn minds. Like there's no control. You can't even, like, they don't even hear their name if you call them. (laughs) You put them in a fenced yard and they listen. Interesting, right? But I think it's true for people. I mean, we're not that, we're all mammals in some capacity. We aren't that far off. I mean, we're much more intelligent, but if you- Or are we? (laughs) Give or take, depending on the day. (laughs) But it's just interesting to me how- the things that actually do serve us, we are so resistant to. And like, why is it only now in the 21st century that we're learning that self-care is important? Is it, or are we just learn? Are we just finally being allowed to? True. You know, I've I've um I read uh, The Color of Law. I don't know if you've read that. It's yeah. really disheartening, but also a really honest and necessary book. It talks about redlining and. Um, all of that, highly recommend it. Um, but what I, 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 did you like history in school? No, I hated it. I've hated it, fucking hated it. I thought it was so boring, it was the worst. And now I love it. But the reality is, is no one was giving me, it wasn't, it, the, when they gave us history, it wasn't human-based. It was just facts dumped versus like a human experience of understanding what redlining is, what that meant. And so now I really enjoy reading books like that. I also get really pissed off reading books like that. But you learn the history of like, for example, housing. People didn't own houses. You had, you know, people that were above middle class owning houses and that was it. And they were slumlords. There weren't laws to protect people that were renting. um, And they were quite gross and disgusting. And no one really had a need to own a house. And Factories, for example, factories were put where they knew there was a large abundance of, you know, apartments and housing and stuff that were lower income, uneducated people. That's what they did. That's where they put these factories. And then came this idea of middle class and all this other stuff. And like, for example, with um, affordable housing, affordable housing was originally only for white middle class people that couldn't afford a home. And now we've flipped the stereotype that it's only for black people or brown people or people that are just using the system, which is a lie. It's really meant to just help people get on their feet so that they could get housing. 
And then they separated black people that had to live in tent cities near these factories. And you listen to the, the history of that and the history of how people worked, there was no humanity. Like, you know, people get mad about Democrats, but you can thank Democrats for union laws. You can thank them for insurance and a lot of things that you benefit from because people didn't give a shit about people. They just didn't. The rich kept getting, not that it's much different now, but the rich kept getting richer and the poor kept getting poorer and the middle class is lost. And um, it's just really interesting to me how we don't, so to, to go back on what you're saying, I don't think it wasn't necessarily true or that people didn't innately know. They just didn't know how or what that meant or what that looks like. You know, you think- And about- I think also it wasn't celebrated. Like yeah. now we are, we are celebrating our self-care. Yeah. And we're seeing happiness in that. And I think that that also plays a huge role in, in the want and now the, like understanding the need for self-care. Right. I mean, you can't literally function as a person without it. I think there's so many things too that we don't discuss in general about the depths and how like your hundred percent might be a 75% on another day, but it's still your hundred percent. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing your best. It's just what you have to give for that day. We are so stuck in this black and white. And I don't know why, I, well, I do know why. Our brains need to categorize because if you didn't categorize, you'd walk into walls while you're walking, literally. Like you need to say, okay, that's a wall. Like you're doing all these things subconsciously. But at what point do we decide to say our brains that are doing all these subconscious things, that I don't want that unconsciousness to take over my life. I want to be more present in aware in a way that makes me more available for those kinds of things. Cause I think, you know, talking about it like this, that's a big part of self-love is knowing that when you need to pump the brakes and when you need to just go for a walk and when you need to shut the computer off and when you need to just not look at social media and just to see how it's literally designed. It's, it's the new cigarettes. It's literally designed to make you click and click and scroll and click and click and scroll. People are like, Oh, it's funny that these things keep popping up about politics that seem to be exactly what I believe. Actually, it's not funny. It's an algorithm. It's <laughs> <Called> an algorithm. <laughs> uh, but like, if you don't know, but the other thing is pe- some people don't know. They really Great. genuinely don't know. And that benefits the people that are making these decisions that when we're the people like us having these conversations, like there is such a better way to live. It takes a lot of work but it is so, 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 so worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. So on this journey for you, who's been really influential in your life? Do you have anybody like accountability partners? Do you have um, like a a core group of friends at your tribe? Like how do you stay aligned? I definitely have like some pods of people throughout. Um, My girlfriend is a huge, huge support. Um, Her and I, our relationship started um, after we were friends, we were, we were really good friends for two years and we were both in relationships and, and we're like truly, honestly on a friend basis, didn't think anything, um, further than friendship. And, um, when our relationship started, it was solely grounded on honesty and openness and her and I really challenged ourselves 
And at that time I was, you know, just starting my growth journey. Mm. So having someone who was along that journey with me, but also challenging me to be honest and share my feelings when for me, you know, in a relationship in particular, that was way out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And so for, for me, her, her ability to both grow with me, but also challenge me, um, has really, really kept me grounded, but also accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, my family, my sister and I never really had a great relationship. And in the last two or three years, I would say we've had the best relationship, uh, that, that we've had our entire lives. And again, a lot of it comes down to honesty and like being true to each other and not trying to be something that we're not. Mm -hmm. Um, and then with my friends, there's definitely pockets of people that I have. Um, but I would say I have a, a core crew that, you know, we send each other our workouts every day and like being on a, on an active journey uh, uh, as well, mm -hmm. that keeps me on my toes. If they're sending their workout and I'm being lazy, then I'm going to feel like a jackass. Then I'm going to get my, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like throughout my life and around me, I have, I feel like I have different people for different parts yeah. of, of my journey, like yeah. spiritually, uh, physically and mentally. Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight that because um, it takes a tribe, it really does. And um, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to make mistakes. And if you don't have the type of relationship where someone can be like, yo, that this seems really out of alignment with who you say you are. I'm just trying to, and doing it like really, really kind and curious in a non-triggered way of saying, I'm just really curious about what was going on in your head at that time, or were you feeling something emotionally that you just weren't ready to share? You know, can, would you be willing to talk to me more about it? I mean, I think curiosity is so, so, so important in this human journey because if you think you know, I mean, you're already wrong, first of all. <laughs> um, but it changes, it's, it's perpetually changing. It is. It is not this, you get there, you know, I'm in full transparency. I did a Ted talk, um, gosh, four or five years ago now on authenticity. And when I did that and I wrote what I said and, you know, in some ways I felt like, oh, I might've arrived. Like this idea of authenticity, like a little bit of background for me, um, I didn't know that I was an androgynous lesbian. I knew I dressed like a tomboy, but like, it wasn't like, until I got this job actually with Ashley Douglas where we were doing dancing classrooms and we had to dress up and I was allowed to wear a three-piece suit. Did I realize if I could wear that every day, I, sh I shit you not, I'd wear that shit on the beach. I'm not scared. Like I would wear a tux, I'm here for it for life. I, I wear, I still get dressed up for work even when I'm working from home. Like I, I just look good, feel good. And, and you know- Wow, more power to you. <laughs> <laughs> if, that means, if that means board shorts and a tank top, do you like I like to me, I have no judgment, but if it makes you feel alive, do the shit out of that. Do yeah. the shit out of it. I say that about fitness. I was a personal trainer 
people be like, oh, what's the best, best exercise? Whatever makes you want to do it every single day and you don't care what anybody thinks, that, all of it. If that means walking backwards for an hour, fucking walk backwards for an hour. Like do what is best for you and be okay that you know it's not serving you anymore. You know, I like to know like, ah, you know, that used to work for me. I'm just not digging that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And just be, and to be okay with it. Yeah. Like let yourself off the hook. Like you don't have, you, you don't even on a cellular level, you don't even have the same cells at the end of the day. Why would you keep anything that isn't working for you anymore in any capacity? And to me, like if you are, to me, the, the, the first thing when you're resistant or you're triggered, first of all, that's about you. You need to do some self-reflection. And what, what, is you, what is making you push back and drag your feet on something that is change? What are you afraid of? Yeah. What are it's you afraid is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, what is that? That uh, everything God has for you is on the other side of fear. You know, punch fear in the face. It's just, all that, all it's doing is telling, it is preventing you from your greatness. That is what fear is. It is the ego's way of saying, you're not good enough for this. You're too small. You're not going to get it right. And who gives a shit if you don't? Because when you fail, that's what makes you get to the next That's thing. when you grow. Yeah. If you don't, like language, talking to your partner. I can't tell you how many times, and I still am learning the right language to explain how I feel without blaming, harming, hurting, um, making it about something that has nothing even to do with the situation. It is a perpetual exercise. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. All the time. But, but if you're truly explaining how you feel and it is solely about feelings, then no one can be upset because that's how you feel. That's also true. That is true. Yeah. It's a weird dance. I, I, I like, I love this conversation. I'm, I'm actually interested on in your thoughts on this because there is this balance of you did something to hurt me though, not maybe intentional, right? Intent versus impact. And yet someone isn't necessarily responsible for your emotions, but yet they're responsible for bad behavior. So it's this interesting thing of, Yes, those are my emotions that you sort of caused, but yet at the same time, you did the best you could, but it had impact. Do you know what I mean? Isn't yeah, it? that is. <laughs> I'm falling off. <laughs> that, the balancing act there is. Uh, it's hard. It's really it hard. hard. Yeah. And to be able to even have that language. Uh, intent versus impact. I didn't have that language nine months ago. I got that from COVID. Because of understanding how people, because I did, I was a food security site. The way people were talking to me was not because of me. They were terrified because they had no food on their table and they had 10 kids. That's right. what they were worried about. So their intent wasn't to harm me, though it harmed me. But yes, but you're feeling that emotionally. Yeah. So, but at the same time, they're doing the best they can. You know, the other <laughs> thing that's really helped me too is um, understanding cortisol effect. And when your brain is in cortisol effect, you literally don't have access to your frontal lobe. You can't critically think at all. And then I don't know if you know, like the brains of children that have experienced trauma, they actually have gaps in their brain that don't allow them to access. They, there's literally black gaps inside of their brain on a CT scan of accessing their frontal lobe. So 
I often think about one, if people in trauma have lack of access to their frontal lobe, what has happened in COVID? Because don't tell me people aren't traumatized, they are. And when people aren't available for these conversations, are they stuck here in this cortisol effect that they just can't get out of to critically think, thinking about politics, race, things of that nature. And it's just really interesting to see that that's where I got the intent first impact is looking at racism, looking at COVID, looking at how people are responding because people are responding really shitty. They, they, for lack of a better term, maybe we have more access to seeing stuff. Maybe people are more, more entitled. Maybe it's a combination of everything, but I just feel like the, the meanness is just on another level. Just it's, it's our, it's insane to, to, to the level of which we dehumanize makes me nauseous. I, I don't even know how we've been, I mean, we've been here. I'm not saying we, we just got here. It's just goodness gracious. I, I can't help but think that in some way people have literally lost their ability to critically think, to at least rationalize. If it's a, not even your, your racism, just is this a good idea or is this a bad idea? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's all washed. Yeah. Ugh. What have you used in COVID? I think this is a helpful tool for anybody. And like for me, impact versus intent has been a really helpful tool in COVID. Have you learned any tools in the midst of COVID of how to navigate emotions or Zoom or partner? I've turned a lot to exercise. Mm. Um, I, I, I have been like athletic my entire life, but not in a sense that I would like work out every day. Like, um, but now I find myself like, if I feel like things are getting a little bit out of control in any sense, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I just need to like get a bike ride in, let it out. And then I can rationally think like, okay, was I overreacting about that? Or do I have like just cause to like think more about what I was upset about or what was making me angry mm-hmm. or what felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so exercise has definitely been a huge one. Um, and just like making more time to read. I'm not a reader and I have really prioritized reading and just like winding down. Mm-hmm. So that's been a good. Any books you'd recommend? Um, I just read Homegoing. It was okay, excellent. Um, it's a book about two women who are half sisters. You find out they're half sisters. They're born in Africa. They're part of um, tribal Africa, like way back in the day. Um, and it's their journey and their ancestral lineage but from two different perspectives because one lives in tribal Africa and the other married a white colonial Hmm. man and how that lineage spurs off Hmm. and, and it goes into like, um, like slave trade time. Wow. But just like how those experiences were very different and like ironically they were ended up being half sisters and came from the same area wow is it a true story 
I don't think it's a true story, but it's based on true accounts, events. Um, so I'm gonna finish with one last closing thought. Um, what is something that you're kind of wrestling with right now or, or trying to wrap your mind around understanding? Um, well, I think currently in the position that I'm at, right, in my job and also in some of the classes that I'm taking right now, it's largely centered around equity and education and social justice. Um, so that's something that's really on the forefront of my mind and something that I've been working really hard in my position at school to like bring to light and start to ensure that equities are, that there are equity conversations and we are pointing out inequities that we see in the building and trying to make some changes. Um, so that for me is really where, where I'm trying to grow um, and I'm trying to educate myself and just, you know, be a better human being yeah. in general um, and think, critically think before I speak. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. There's so many, I mean, to go back into everything that we've already discussed, all these tools and nuances, and then trying to unpack something that's systemically made us believe this way. Um, you know, being a female, when you're on an elevator by yourself, what is your natural response, depending on who gets into the elevator? That right there is telling you any biases or racisms you have. Um, they're shoved down our throat in, in news and even our history books. Our history books don't even tell us a true story about slavery or redlining or anything like that. Right. No, one, no one's talking about it in a way that's factual. Um, and that's hard too. You know, I think, I think I can talk with a lot of people here where it just feels like, like almost like voting. Like, what does my one voice do? What does my one little, you know, the, the, when I check an, an elder on what they're saying, that they think is a funny joke or right. microaggression in a Zoom meeting or just something you see walking down the street. It's really hard, but you know, I try to remind myself that even if it's only a pebble thrown into the ocean, it's causing waves and I don't know how big they're gonna be. I don't, I, you know, it's kind of like being a teacher, quite frankly. Um, anytime I've taught, you, you just plant the seed. You don't get to sow it necessarily. You don't even get to water it. You just plant it. And all you can do is do the right thing and show up and do the right thing and show up and do the right thing. Um, and hope that that was enough to be a positive impact. Yeah. And it's hard because you don't get to see it. And we're such tangible beings that not seeing it, especially now, like we are so isolated. Um, it's really hard. So well, I want to thank you for your time and, and sharing all your stories and um, yeah, just being in conversation with me. I really appreciate it, Kate. Yeah, it was really great. I'm glad that I, that I did it. And yeah, it was a really great conversation. So thank you for challenging me as well to really reflect on some of the things that have happened throughout my life. For sure. Um, do you want to wrap up by pointing anybody to an org that you really believe in or social media? Now we talk about social media, a link that you'd like to send people to. 
I guess instead of an org, I just, I want I want people to, to not be afraid to put in the work and, and challenge yourself to kind of step out of those comfort zones. Yeah, for sure. I think if we all do that just a little bit, I think this world will be much more empathic, curious, and connected place, quite frankly. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time, Kate. Thank you so much. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to take a quick second and just reflect on the conversation um, with Kate. I want to first say that I'm grateful that she gave me the privilege of having such a conversation. Um, Relationships are sacred. Um, Our lives are sacred. And sharing these stories Um, I don't take it lightly that somebody wants to be able to enter this space and just show up, to just show up. Um, I really appreciate her sharing the the journey of leaving a relationship as one of her versions of authenticity. Um, You know, as a a gay person, a lot of stories that are shown in movies and TVs look nothing like me, one from a gender identity, let alone a sexuality perspective. But um, there's a lot of really difficult parts of being a gay person. This is no surprise here. Um, and, you know, you spend your, for some people, you spend your whole life trying to figure out who you are. What does it mean to own who you are? And so your families, when you tell them you come out, like they're learning it for the first time. So say you come out at 20 years old. They've had 20 years of this person that they've just perceived. And you've had 20 years of, oh my gosh, this isn't me. This isn't who I want to be. This doesn't look like me. And standing in your truth, knowing that might have impact, that could mean you lose your family, friends, whoever. And so while you're doing this grappling, you're also watching things around you. You're watching TV and movies and listening to music. And there aren't gay love songs. There aren't gay rom-coms. There aren't, um, there are TV shows, but like, you know, that's more recently. I I would say, you know, for me growing up, None of that stuff existed. No one looked like me. I thought, you know, quite frankly, I was broken because I knew I was a female, but like I didn't like any of the things that girls were supposed to like. So all the dolls, dresses, stuff wanted nothing to do with any of that. And um, I just wanted to wear pants and Jordans and kick it and be myself. And just felt like that identity had a timeline because you could only be, a, you know, quote unquote, tomboy for so long. And then you're looking around at movies, TVs, famous people, nobody looks like you. And so then you start to believe, well, maybe, maybe I'm an anomaly. Maybe I'm not supposed to exist. So so you start buying into these narratives of what you're supposed to do. And if anybody knows me from high school, I look nothing like I look now. And they have no idea for that whole time I was questioning what I feel in spaces, how uncomfortable and much like a fraud I felt like wearing a dress and wearing a skirt. Um, They don't know any of that. 
they didn't they couldn't know any of that because I honestly didn't even know I had that language or those were the emotions that were stirring up for me in those moments. And so, you know, again, thanking Kate for sharing that because it's really hard to look at the world and see yourself not represented and not know if you have value, if you have worth, if you can have, if you're allowed or even are worthy of the same things straight people get. And it takes a lot of courage to to sit and look at your life and reflect and to be able to say, I'm worthy of this. I'm worthy of this and to know what you want out of that. And I appreciate Kate being able to share her journey of figuring that out of what that meant because it's hard when family's involved. It's hard when there's all this extra complexity of being in a relationship and it takes a lot of courage to say, I don't think that's my story. And instead of disowning yourself, disowning the ideas everybody else has for you and leaning into the best version of you, I truly think that's the gift that is the work of a lifetime of refusing to disown your truth and the parts of yourself that the world is telling you you probably should because it would make them a lot more comfortable. So if you're on this journey, I thank you. I thank you for leaning into the discomfort. I thank you for flexing your muscles of curiosity and trying to get aligned to the best, truest version of yourself. And I want to thank Kate again for having the courage to share that with us and giving us the privilege of holding that space and just listening to her turn into the best version of her. Uh, If you all like, you can go to our anchor page for Flexus. There is a message um, tool. You can leave me a voice memo or an email. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode, other episodes, what you'd like to hear in the future, any thoughts you might have. If you'd love to share a story, I would love for you to drop me a line. And I'm just grateful for y'all. I'm grateful for Kate. And I just feel so blessed to be on this journey and for y'all to be here with me. Thank y'all.